And I hope that you will join me in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 5, as we look together at what God teaches us in verses 17 to 25. We've seen how God, by His grace, has brought the kingdom to David. All of his rivals have been eliminated, and so all the tribes of Israel now come to David to anoint him as king of Israel. And God firmly establishes his chosen king in his chosen city, the city we know as Jerusalem, also called Mount Zion, the city of David. And David is firmly established and we might think, well, he's arrived. He has finally come into his kingdom. Well, think again, because we still have the Philistines, those arch enemies of God's people, the Philistines. And even though David is established in Jerusalem on the throne of God's people, that does not stop God's enemies from plotting and scheming against God's anointed king. And while today we don't have to worry about the Philistines so much, we as God's people now still face attacks from the enemy. But the enemy takes a very different form. For us now, the enemy might take the form of Isolation, discouragement, doubt, depression, and worry. It might even take the form of boredom. We're simply done with being trapped at home, and we're wondering, where do we go from here? What do we do? Our enemies are different, but the threat remains the same. We need to know that, and we need to know how God can prepare his people for whatever assaults come our way, whatever adversity or affliction arrives at our doorstep. So let's read together verses 17 to 25. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? The Lord answered him, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of the Lord, and he answered, 
Do not go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Gezer. There are two vital characteristics of this story that we need to highlight. The first is God's ferocious faithfulness toward his people and toward his anointed king. He is fiercely protective of his people and his king. But we also need to see the fearless faith that David demonstrates in the face of this attack. Because while his first posture is defensive, he goes to the stronghold, he eventually goes on the offensive as directed by God. And so also, God calls you and he calls me to go on the offensive against our enemies. But we do not go in our own strength. And so here's the overall message that I believe the Spirit of God wants us to see in these verses. And that is God's ferocious faithfulness to his people fills them with the fearless faith they need to take the fight to the enemy, to go on the offensive. But it starts with the ferocious faithfulness of God, this God who is a mighty fortress and who promises to go with his people. And in order for you today, in this moment and through this season, to be equipped to withstand those assaults, you need nothing less than the ferocious and fierce faithfulness of God. The God as revealed in the Bible is a God who is fiercely passionate and zealous for His glory. And if that strikes you as egotistical, remember the greatest good in this universe is the glory of God. And that means it would be wrong of God to not prioritize his name, his reputation, his renown, his glory. And God glorifies himself through the victories of his people when they demonstrate fearless faith in taking the fight to the enemy. So what is that going to look like for you? And for me today, how can we have the fearless faith we need to go on the offensive against the enemies we face today? The first thing we need is that we need to know our enemy. Know your enemy. For David, the enemy 
was the Philistines, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel. If you look back, you'll see that David has had a very complicated relationship with the Philistines. On the one hand, he gained his fame and his reputation by killing Goliath, the chief of the Philistines on the battlefield, back in 1 Samuel chapter 17. That's what most people know. But what not as many people know is that after that, when Saul, the villainous king, turns against David, David turns for help to the Philistines, believe it or not. And at first, they don't trust him. At first, they say, this is the man who killed Goliath. We can't have him in our midst. And so you have this amazing scene where David pretends to be insane, and he starts drooling from his mouth and and clawing walls. And Achish, the king of the Philistines, says, get this guy out of here. I've got enough crazy people. But later on, after David has accumulated around 600 warriors in his band, he goes back to the Philistines, and now they see him as an ally. Now he fights for them. And there's even a scene where he is marching with the Philistines against Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 29 until the Philistines again grow distrustful and say, no, we don't want him with us. We don't know what he might do when we face off against the Israelites. And so up until this time, the Philistines have not seen David as a threat And they've been largely out of the scene through 2 Samuel. But that stops now. And so what we need to see in the bigger picture of what God is doing here is that God has the power to restrain the forces that would oppose him and that would oppose his king and his people. And so to this point, he has been restraining the Philistines so that David can come into his kingdom so that David is now enthroned over all the tribes of Israel and over the city of Jerusalem. Now, David is in a position to really lead Israel against the Philistines. And you'll recall that the primary reason Israel wanted a king was so that they would have a great general to fight the Philistines. Know your enemy. David knew the Philistines. He was intimately acquainted with them. And he wasn't in a position to fight them because then they could have said that he was ungrateful for the support that they had given to him. But God brings the fight to David at this point. Now David has no choice to wage war against God's enemies for the sake of his people. So, who is our enemy now? Our enemy now, the New Testament tells us in Ephesians 6, verse 12, is far more deadly than any Philistine could ever be, and far more dangerous than any Philistine could ever be. As we read in Ephesians 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord 
and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And don't miss this in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our enemy now, as God's people now, is primarily spiritual in nature. Do those spiritual forces of evil work in and through people? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we need to know first and foremost that our enemy is spiritual, and that means that our conflict is not like David's conflict. It is a spiritual battle. And therefore, we need spiritual armor and spiritual weapons in order to not only withstand the attacks of the enemy, but to fight the enemy, to take the fight to this enemy. Now, so many of us read about the devil in the Bible, and we can't help but have this cartoonish image of a devil with a pitchfork and horns and we think, I just don't believe in something like that. That's, that's a, a myth, a legend, something meant to scare people. Well, you're partially right. Satan, as revealed in the Bible, is not a cartoonish figure. But the Satan revealed in the Bible would love nothing more than for you to think of him that way. Why? Because as, you, as long as you think of him as a caricature, as a joke, you won't take him seriously. And you won't be on your guard. And you won't be prepared. He would love nothing more. He trades in lies. His work is fueled by lies. And the way he operates is so much more cunning and so much more deceptive than we would care to admit. You want to see Satan at work? Just look inside and think of when you ask the question, is God real? Did God really say that? Is God really trustworthy? Can I really take God at his word? That is the lie of Satan. And we see him performing that work from the very beginning of the Bible. And it's still a thing. Same thing now. Did God really say that? prompting you to say, I don't know. Maybe he didn't. Maybe God really isn't good. Maybe God doesn't even exist at all. Maybe I can live however I want to live. Know your enemy. First, by knowing who the enemy is. But also recognize what the enemy wants. Recognize what the enemy wants. Notice when the Philistines attack David and Israel. 
in verse 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, then they attack. Why is that? Because prior to this, as long as David was limited to Hebron, as long as David was only king over the tribe of Judah, he wasn't a threat to the Philistines. It was in the self-interest of the Philistines to keep Israel divided. But now that Israel is united under the leadership of David, now the Philistines have a problem. Now it's time to fight. In a similar way, our enemy, wants us to be discouraged, to be weak, to be helpless, to be passive, to be defensive. That's what he wants. Just consider the fact that as long as we talk about Jesus in here, when we're with our Christian friends. The world has no problem with that. That's fine. That's fine. But you utter the name of Jesus out there, that's a game changer. That's a game changer. And what our enemy, Satan, wants is for churches to be reduced to mere country clubs where we get together and we encourage one another and we feel great about one another and about ourselves and then we decide, you know, this is fun, let's do it again next week. He wants us to keep Jesus in here. And as long as Jesus is privatized, he's no threat to anybody. But in order for us to know our enemy, to know that's what the enemy wants, and for us to be filled with the ferocious faithfulness of God for his people, to have the fearless faith we need to take the, enemy, take the fight to the enemy, we need to go on the offensive. We need to recognize we're not here for ourselves. We need to recognize that God has called us to love our neighbors both by giving our time, giving our love, giving our service, but also by telling our neighbors the truth. That apart from Christ, they are lost and justly condemned in their sins. Now you say, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to be obnoxious. We don't either. That's not the point. But the point is to feel a burden for your neighbors. And that, to not treat them like, oh, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. We don't have to worry about that. I don't want to offend anybody. No. That's what the enemy wants you to think. And we cannot afford to be passive. Now notice how David's first reaction is to go to the stronghold. This is probably the place in Zion, the oldest part of Jerusalem. The fort. But when he goes 
And he knows that the Philistines are assembling about a mile away in the valley of Rephaim. He inquired of the Lord. In other words, he prayed. He prayed. And he said, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And so the next thing that we need to do, we need to know our enemy, and we need to confess our weakness. Confess our weakness. We need to confess that the enemy that we face is too cunning and too dangerous and too deadly for anything that we could fight with our own strength. We need help. And we don't mind confessing it. David cried out to the Lord, What do you want me to do? And God was faithful to answer, Go, for I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. Now many today think of prayer as one of those passive things you could do. And they have a point. We are probably too flippant in the way we talk about prayer. We say so casually, I'm praying for you. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. You're in our thoughts and prayers. And we just leave it there. And often we don't actually verbalize a prayer. We just say that we are. Whereas the prayer that we see in David And the kind of praying that we see modeled and taught by the Lord Jesus is aggressive. It is aggressive. Jesus taught his disciples to pray and to never give up, to be persistent. Why? Because real heartfelt prayer is powerful. And it is a powerful means that God has chosen to work through. God has promised to act in response to the prayers of his people. Not always by giving us what we want, but he will answer. When we pray with our hearts and in the spirit. But when we function as a country club, we talk about praying we don't really pray. And when we do think we're praying, we so often just resort to cliches and rote, pre-rehearsed prayers. Instead of praying in the Spirit from our heart, God, what do you want me to do? I am helpless without you and your intervention. Please, confess your weakness. Pray aggressively and Pray offensively. So often, we pray in reaction to something happening, and to some extent, David's prayer is reactionary. The Philistines are at the gates. What do I do? I've received a diagnosis. What do I do? I've received bad news. What do I do? I'm in trouble. What do I do? Whereas, the prayer that we know is the Lord's prayer is a proactive, offensive prayer. What does Jesus say? But lead us not into temptation. But what? Deliver us from evil. 
And just as a very practical measure, I would encourage you to pray the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Because what you're saying is, God, I don't know what temptations, I don't know what evil, I don't know what dangers await me this day. But whatever they are, I want to be prepared, as prepared as I can be. That doesn't mean it won't still be a shock sometimes, but I want to be fortified by you. So I'm going to confess my weakness here. I'm going to pray aggressively, and I'm going to pray proactively and offensively. I'm going to take the fight to the enemy. I want to be ready. And we're reminded of Martin Luther's classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, where he writes this. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Do you ask who that be? Christ Jesus is he. We have a Savior who has gone before us, who has promised to hear us when we pray in his name. He has told us to ask, to seek, to knock. Let's do it. How often, though, are, are, are you hiding? Hiding from temptation, hiding from danger, and not praying aggressive and offensive prayers. Be honest with yourself and be honest with God. Next, we see in verse 20 how David is victorious on the battlefield. And he names the place Baal Perizim, which means the Lord breaks out. As waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. And so the third measure of whether or not we are filled with God's ferocious faithfulness and whether we are marked by fearless faith is that we obey our commander. We obey our commander. David not only prayed, he did what God told him to do. And you might say, well, I would do the same thing if God spoke to me from heaven. Well, no, God doesn't speak to us in general like this now. I won't say God can't, but he has given us his word He's given us the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's poured his Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our lives. We have far more than David ever did. So rely on what God has provided and obey what he commands. And to the extent that you don't know what to do or where to go, pray for wisdom, pray for discernment, pray for God to open the doors that need to be opened and to close the doors that need to be closed. And he is faithful to provide. But to obey, we need to remember who gives the victory. David is so clear about this. The Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. It is the Lord who has defeated them. David isn't taking any credit for this. He gives all the glory and all the credit to God. And to God's zeal for his king and for his people. As we read in Psalm 21 about God's fearsome and ferocious strength for his king. 
through the victories you gave, his glory is great. You have bestowed on him splendor and majesty. Surely you have granted him unending blessings and made him glad with the joy of your presence. Your hand will lay hold on all your enemies. Your right hand will seize your foes. When you appear for battle, you will burn them as in a blazing furnace. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and his fire will consume them. This is not a milk toast view of God, is it? This is a fully orbed, holy, and righteous God. And if your view of God cannot encompass the fullness of what God has revealed in his word, well then we need to reevaluate our view of God and ask, is my view of God more a reflection of me and my preferences, or is it more about who God says he is? Remember who gives the victory, and remember whose fight this really is. To obey the commander, we must remember whose fight this really is. As we see in verse 21, the Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. That is, carried them off to destroy them. The Philistines are relying on their idols, and God exposes the futility of relying on anything other than him. And so we need to ask ourselves in our lives, do we see our lives as a part of God's larger project in the world, God's larger mission in the world? To be exalted, to be glorified, to have his truth prevail and triumph through his people? Or do you have a small view of the world and of your life so you're fixated and obsessed with your problems, your worries, your burdens, and you only see God as a resource to address those problems. How big is your view of God and his work in the world? I pray that God, through his spirit, would give you and would give me a bigger vision of who he is and what he is doing in the world. The next mark we need to see, to be filled with the ferocious faithfulness of God and to have fearless faith in the face of the enemy, is that we must keep our hearts alert and on guard. Keep your heart alert and on guard. Why? Well, you would think, well, okay, took care of the Philistines, we're done with that. Oh no, look at verse 22. Once more the Philistines came up and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. In the same place, in the same place, if David and the Israelites were to get comfortable and think, okay, we won, woo it's over, let's celebrate, they would be in terrible danger. But they don't, they, see, they come again. They come again. We need to know that the enemy is relentless. They will come again and again and again. And our life in this world will always be marked by struggle. A spiritual struggle and battle for your heart and for your mind. 
And we can't underestimate the enemy. We can't allow our heart to not be on guard. We need to know this because we might be thinking, well, after this pandemic is over, when life returns to some version of normal, then everything will be okay. Look, there are going to still be discouragements and disappointments and afflictions and adversity on the other side of this, and there always will be in this fallen world. Are you ready? The enemy is relentless. They will come again. But also, notice that God's power is limitless. David inquired of the Lord again. What do you want me to do? And we might think, well, wouldn't God just want him to do the same thing again? Same scenario, same enemy. Let's just go at him again. And he would be wrong. When we confess our weakness, we acknowledge that we go to God every day, every moment. We are continually dependent upon his grace for victory. And so he prays again. What do you want me to do? And notice how the instructions are completely different now. Whereas before, God told him, go. Go on the offensive. Take the fight to the enemy. Now, he says, I want you to turn your back, go away, and then I want you to come around behind them. And when you hear the sound of the marching echoing in the trees, attack. Go on the offensive. We need to continually pray to God to keep our heart alert and on guard because God has a variety of ways that he works. His toolbox, we might say, is bottomless. The toolbox of his providence and how he protects his people and opposes those who oppose him and oppose his purposes in the world. David didn't take anything for granted. He went to the Lord in prayer. And look at the victory that God gave them. They struck them down all the way from Gibeon to Gazir, which is to say about 20 miles. Quite a victory. And so we have to ask ourselves now, are we fortified? Are we ready? Are we prepared? Because David's victory was short-lived. It was glorious. God was glorified here, but it was not ultimate. The victory that you and I ultimately need is described in Colossians 2, verse 15. And he, Christ, having disarmed the powers and authorities, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. God's toolbox of providence is so expansive that he can defeat his enemies. He can humiliate his enemies using something as shameful and as seemingly foolish as the cross. But that's how he did it. In the cross, we see the ferocious 
faithfulness of God. Starting with His chosen King, the Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, the Christ. And He did not let His faithful one see decay. He raised Him from the dead so that now, so that now, in this moment, today, wherever you're watching this, however you're watching this, you need to know that really there are only two possibilities for your life. There's no third option. God is either for you or he is against you because you are condemned in your sin. And the only way that God can be for you is if you are with his king, the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you know him as Lord? Do you have a relationship with him as Lord? Do you pray to him? Do you worship him? Do you love him? Do you follow him? Because if you do, then hear the good news. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. God, with all of his ferocious faithfulness, is for you, a sinner. And you can be filled with fearless faith so that you can take the fight to the enemy. And that enemy starts in here with your own sin and your own need to repent and confess, Jesus, save me. I am a sinner. I need your grace. I am nothing apart from your grace. Please, Lord, save me. Would that be your prayer today? I pray that it would be as we go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we are in awe of your power and how you display your power ultimately through the triumph of your son Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. But we praise you, Lord, that you also have chosen to display your power and your glory through your people, through us. Lord, help us to never get over that. Lord, help us to put our trust, to put our faith in your man, your chosen king, the right man, Jesus Christ our Lord, so that come what may, no matter how deadly, no matter how dangerous, no matter how fearful the enemy, we are fortified in your grace. Lord, help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit, for we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have any prayer concerns or questions, or if you would like to connect about any ministry needs whatsoever, please reach out by email. We are so grateful to God that you could join us for this service of worship. Have a great week.